Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello, Blazer fans. Welcome to the great British royal wedding edition of the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the almighty Baller Radio Network. I am Tara, the Grand Duchess of Blazer's Edge. I am joined by Bonnie Prince Danny. Oh, God, help me. How was the royal wedding for you, Dan? Oh, yeah. Did you take it in? And oh, yeah. did you take it in as all its glory? Yeah. If I take it in, you mean completely tried to run away from every bit of it, but was smattered with it in every form of social media and news print media. Why? Why, did you, why didn't you want to watch the royal wedding, Dan? Do you hate love? Yes. All things good must die. No, I don't know. You I just didn't care. I literally just didn't care. I didn't care either until I turned it on and I was like, this is really, it's a really nice escape. It's like one of those things that it was like, you know what? Some people just know how to throw a really nice, classy wedding. And it was just a really nice yeah, kind of Who knew a royal out. family would, be a, would throw a classy wedding? Well, we haven't had one for a few years, and, um, oh, you know, America isn't always the classiest uh, place all the time, especially America. if, like us, we spend a lot of time on Twitter. Sometimes Twitter can get a little not classy. Twitter is and the classiest I, place we have. I tell you everything you need to know. I thought, I thought it was wonderful, and I'm sad for you that you missed out on it because there were some magical moments. No, I'm good. I'm good. The British okay, accent was, was, was a nice touch, though. Well, thank you very much. I'm just trying to class the place up here a little bit, Dan. Bonnie Prince Danny. Um, oh, but it did get me thinking, of all the Blazers, who do you think would have the most opulent wedding? Ooh. you got to have the money to do it. It's got to be Dame or CJ. And honestly, I think Dame keeps things a little bit more low-key for a lot of things. But... It seems like when he wants to make a splash, you know, like uh, a suit with no undershirt. Like a suit? <laughs> like, he goes crazy on stuff. So, yeah. I think I think Dame has that in him. I think CJ would, would try to keep it pretty stylish and up-to-date, and I think Dame may try something a little bit wild. Depending on, of course, you know, what his fiancé decided to say about that. Uh, well, you're wrong, because obviously it would be Evan Turner. Because, can you imagine what kind of a wedding he might throw? He'd have I a mean, supreme he's only... on. And it'd be videotaped by drones. Well, he already has a Bentley. So, like, if since you didn't watch the royal wedding, a very important part of big opulent weddings is driving up in big fancy cars. So he already has, like, the amazing car. I thought you needed, and, like, a carriage. Well, it's the 21st century, Dan. Come on. Well, get with isn't it. Isn't that the point of opulence is to have something that nobody else has? <laughs> like, I don't have any it? Bentleys. You don't have a carriage either. <laughs> no, no. But uh, so I think I think Evan Turner would put on a spectacular wedding, even if it was he was just putting one on for a friend. I think he would outdo himself. I bet he's like an amazing event planner because I think you're right. I think there would be drones. There would be all kinds of little twists and turns that only could ap appear in the mind of Evan Turner. <laughs> this, this is the man that does his best thinking on the toilet. So I can believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, he'd be standing up there in his uh, silk boxing um, robe and his fuzzy slippers. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to the Blazer news. Uh, we'll have more Blazer speculation later, not on wedding dates, but on uh, rumors that are starting to pop up. This week, the NBA Combine was in Chicago, and the Blazers did not send a, bl a big contingent. They only have the 24th pick as of this moment anyway, um, but they were represented. They sent their team psych sports psychologist, Dana Sinclair, went and did some interviews with players. Is that an odd thing that they didn't send basketball people? I mean, I let me say she's a basketball person, but she's a different type of basketball person. Yeah. 
Portland's been doing this now for a few years. Um, this is just kind of what they do. Um, I think they rely on their research and their scouts and all of their their management personnel as far as the basketball stuff, like the the, the you know on the court stuff. Um, and they're really only trying to get a look at one particular thing through the lens that they've chosen, and that's the the, the team psychologist that they've employed now for a while. Um, to be honest, it's for the most part worked for them as far as getting guys personality-wise that you know fit together. We haven't had mm-hmm. save you know I hate to even mention his name again. Save like a guy like Felton, the Blazers really haven't had core chemistry issues in, in quite a while. So mm-hmm. I think they're kind of following that that trend of, of going after the the same or the right kind of guys' uh, mental makeup uh, as far as team composure. Well, I mean, it kind of goes along with last week. I think last week I asked you, like, um, I mean, what, you know, what do people really get out of the combine? I mean, measurements could be taken anywhere. And I think the measurement thing is a little weird and creepy anyway. Um, you know, sometimes I guess you, you get to see them, um, you know, play five on five, which I guess, you know, especially guys who are like maybe in a mid major or in a smaller school that didn't, wasn't playing the super high level competition. It's like the first time to see them, but it sounds like you're saying that, you know, a lot of the work goes on, you know, during the year that the scouts are already doing anyway. And so it's just their first time to talk one-on-one with these young men, um, face to face. What do you think about like the wingspan and the, how big their hands are? And I just, I don't, there's, it all matters. Like, the, <laughs> it, it all matters. But but does it like really matter that they have to all stand in line and get measured? Like, can't you just look at Mo Bamba and go, that dude's arms are crazy long? I mean, it's like, a game do you of, really it, like we, it, the NFL's the same way. It's a game of inches. I Ooh, just the ability uh, to alter a shot to get in a passing lane to um, catch a pass. Um, there have been guys in, in throughout league history who had tiny hands and had trouble catching passes in traffic. Um, guys that aren't don't have do you long enough they... wingspan, or I mean, and a lot of these guys you want. But can't to get you the tell by watching them play whether or not their wingspan and their and their speed is fast enough? Yeah, but you I want mean, to get all that stuff like... on record because when you're deciding between two guys, if things are close enough, teams have certain ways that they'll go with things, whether it's mental makeup or physical makeup. And I think that's so. That's all a huge else part being equal, if someone go if one the, guy's wingspan goes, is seven four, guy someone bigger. else is seven two. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of it. Somebody's a little bit longer, somebody's a little bit faster. I mean, those are the things that are going to break it apart. I mean, when you're when you're talking about the guys on this level, the smallest advantages are the ones that matter. Because everybody's just at a, a physically at a level that's, you know, in the point 1%. You know, these guys are just absolute freaks. Okay, but so they spend so much time at the combine measuring everybody and remember like, oh my God, Noah Vonley's hands are like incredibly huge. Pat Connaughton has the second highest vertical leap ever recorded. Okay, so where are these guys now? I mean, not it's it like just because it doesn't always somebody matter. D- like we, we've talked about it before. Noah Vonley is a prototype. Like if mm-hmm. you're going to build a guy in, in a lab, he comes out looking like Noah Vonley. Six foot mm-hmm. ten. Big lower body, great wingspan, already got a man build coming into the league, had the weight necessary to play down low. I mean, all he, he checks all the boxes, but the basketball stuff and the mental aspect of it, um, those are all things that matter. I think it's disingenuous to spend so much time emphasizing measurements at the combine when they can't get them right. Everybody knows that Kevin Durant is not 6'10", and nobody will change his measurements on That's the official NBA. ones submitted. Yeah, I know. Those are the official ones that are submitted, but the combine but, ones are what, are what are actually measured, which is different. I, I just I, – I that there's – I don't – I'm just not into the whole the whole measurement thing. But in terms of the the psychology test, do you think that she like gives them basically like a Myers Briggs type thing? I mean, are you familiar with that where you're given a personality type and it's not like to judge whether or not you're a good personality type, but just to see how your personality type fits in with with those around you and if the, your personality type fits with, you know, the strengths of what you're going to be asked to do? I'm certain that's probably part of what they do. Um, but I think they, they they probably go a little bit deeper than that. I think they only get you know fifteen to 
20 minutes with them a piece so they don't get a ton of time so it's probably pretty focused um from what i've heard coming out from players that have met with the blazers it's usually they won't elaborate exactly on what questions were asked but um they say that the at least from what i've seen that the questions themselves are, are very specific uh-huh. So I mean, they're they're honing in on certain things clearly, like basketball specific, or uh, I I it's it's been vague in general, so I don't know. But mm-hmm. I would assume mm-hmm. that it, since it's the, there are no true basketball personnel there, I would assume this is all about mental makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wish I was a fly. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in one of those conversations. But we did get um, one one huge thing out of the uh, out of the. Uh, combine mo bamba has the longest wingspan on record so far yeah seven foot ten inch (laughs) that's 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 so so that's longer than a car isn't it yeah i mean how long is a car i mean you're most cars you're talking probably your average coupe you're talking about eight feet wow yeah that is that is very very long I mean, it's, it's, so it's nuts. We shall see how that translates. And by, 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 I mean, like, actual space. I'm, I'm talking, you know, wheel to wheel. So. Mm-hmm. Well, so, uh, Dana Sinclair was not the only person there with Blazer Connections, obviously. No, she NBC wasn't. Sports Northwest sent Jason Quick there. He sh- shared a whole bunch of information about players that the Blazers either met with or are planning on working out in the coming weeks. Were there any players that were mentioned who stood out to you or people that we should uh, really listen for their names for potential you know, Blazer reasons? <laughs> the, the thing about this is they're, they're looking at guards. I mean, it's point me guess, guard, shooting guard, five. point guard, shooting guard, point guard, shooting guard, point guard, shooting guard, shooting guard, small forward. The biggest guess, hole on this. They're all 6'5". Um, eh, close. I, I honestly, <laughs> I, I figured they would have they would have gone for forwards, but depending on mm-hmm. where they're picking, I mean, there's a lot. There there isn't a ton of wings outside of the the top crop, so probably this is why they're, they're looking at this as best player available. Right. But okay, yeah. Actually, let me ask you a question on that. So I know. You know, there's one school of thought, especially at the very top of the draft, is take best player available. Now, when you get down in the 20s, are you still looking for the best player available? Are you looking for best fit? Or, again, does it still just matter whatever the philosophy of your team is? Yeah, I I think it's there's there's a couple of things that go on. Um, If you're the Warriors, you're looking for fit, I think. You don't care about best player available you're just looking for somebody to fit in right now right away unless you're projecting towards the future um other teams are looking at best player available Mm -hmm. Uh, i I think you can kind of start messing around with that depending on where your team is at Mm -hmm. you mean where they like where they just finished in the season and what their what their goal is going up looks like going forward yeah okay okay so, yeah, anyway, back to uh, any names that we should uh, keep our ears tuned to. Uh, I, the guy that I like, as far as who's been named so far, is Bruce Brown out of Miami. Um, okay. Brown's just tough. He is mm-hmm. a tough, tough player. And I think that Portland could use a guy like him um, in the locker room. But the weird thing is I kind of see Wade Baldwin as possibly filling that kind of role. Mm-hmm. So part of me thinks they need to go more uh, towards shooting, especially if they're if they're considering losing Shabazz, and that's mm-hmm. that's what it looks like at least from from what I've seen. You've got DiVincenzo, um, Jerome Robinson, Kyrie Thomas. You, you've got guys of these combo guards that I'm assuming are, are guys that they're looking at to replace Shabazz Napier. Mm-hmm. Um, one name that stood out to me was Gary Trent Jr. Because I remember the Gary Trent days. He was here. Would do you remember those days? Were you around or were you off? Yeah, no. Ninety five, ninety eight is definitely like prime high school watching years for me, and, and I got to see Gary Trent Sr. But it's actually kind of cool for me because you know I, I got to go and really check out Hoop Summit a few years ago and see these guys up close and personal. And Gary Trent Jr. is one of the guys I got to spend some time with. And Oh, cool. Yeah, and personally, um, I really like Trent. 
watching him in workouts, his personality, his mindset. And like, if you're talking about like guys that Portland's looking for, and I can't believe I'm saying this about a Duke guy, but he's also the son of a blazer. So it kind of balances <laughs> out. But yeah. he was a guy, there was two guys that came out of that camp that I really liked the, the makeup of. And that was Gary Trent Jr. and Jared Vanderbilt. I love their okay. game, their mindset, their mentality, how they went about, you know, their day-to-day stuff. There was just something about them that they were above everybody else on, on the, at least as far as it appeared, on, on a mental level. Like, understanding the game, where they need to be, um, how to help other guys and communicate and just kind of be an effective leader. And I saw that. And that was at the Hoop Summit, right? Yeah, that was two years ago at the Hoop Hoop Summit. And those are two guys that really stood out. Um, And not to say that Gary Trent Jr. also isn't, like, textbook-wise, one of the best-looking jumpers I've ever seen. It's just, it's a thing of beauty. So he's one of those guys where... um, We've I think been fooled he, by those before. Yeah, and that's the thing is like it's so pretty. You think it's going to go in every time, but God, it's a good looking jumper. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's exactly the kind of person that the Portland fans I think would really embrace. Partly, you know, because of well, a lot I think because of his father, um, Gary Trent Senior. You know, he was there. He had one year before Rashid Bonzi. All those guys came, came and yep. then. Yeah, and he was there for a couple of years with them, and then he moved on. He did have uh, a little trouble while he was here. Um, he did, he was not did not um, come out of that era without some uh, activities that Save put him Brian on the radar. Brian Grant and Arvita Simonis, who did or who did right exactly. Well, and he seems to have really uh, uh, gotten his life. Um, going in a good direction um, after he was out of the NBA. I was reading a story. Mark Spears wrote an in-depth article on him a couple, maybe last year um, as Gary Trent Jr. was coming into Duke. He wrote a a pretty extensive article about uh, senior Gary Trent senior's life. And man, he did, he have a difficult, difficult, difficult upbringing um, then he was in the NBA, had his NBA career, played a little bit in Europe, came back, and then he ended up for quite a while. He was a um, he worked in a school as like a counselor, um, you know, helping just like a success counselor. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like a school counselor, but he you know hung out with all the kids and helped them and listened and provided some yeah with like a middle school. So um, that was kind of cool. But anyway, um, Gary Trent Jr. also really stood out. He was named Bleacher Report talked about him as one of the standouts at the combine during those uh, five on five workouts. So you know he's wonder how he did on his personality test. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping that he, that he did well because honestly. And I know I never say this about Duke players, especially four-year Duke players. I think the one and dones can be a little bit different, but I just and he's a one and done, yeah, correct? Yeah, and I, I, don't, I just yeah. don't trust the the four-year Duke guys like the Grayson Allens of the world, and, and that's just, oh. and that's he kind of epitomizes I think what Duke is at least to me mentally, and I just I, I'm just not a fan of of those kind of guys um, that come out of there. They're great mm-hmm. college players, but I don't think they ultimately find a lot of success in the NBA. The one other mm-hmm. thing that I wanted to say about the list that quick brought out, not that he doesn't have sources, obviously Um, this is according to happy Walter. So um, pretty easy to believe that's true. The Blazers explain who happy Walters is. That's it's, he's, he's a big time agent in the NBA been around forever. Okay. Um, Does he represent any current Blazers? uh, I don't think happy currently does. Okay. Um, We're going to do the live lookup. Um, (laughs) You know, it's really funny is when you when you check uh, search Happy Williams, like the first like five results are Pharrell Williams is. Uh, oh, uh, happy, happy song, happy. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think he actually has any that are that are active okay. right now. Um, the, uh, the the thing I was going to say though is I think that there's something to be taken away from this. Oh, you know, Harkless. I should have known that. The, the, the whole negotiation with Harkless. I should remember that one. Um, but the, uh, the thing I was going to say about the, this this whole list is the Blazers typically don't... They, they send out some mixed messages around draft time. I mean, we've mm-hmm. talked about this before. That the, the Blazers under Neil O'Shea, they, they operate under a veil of secrecy. They don't share anything as far as what their intentions are. 
if you leak something to the press uh, as an opposing team working in a trade, you're likely to never see that trade be completed. Um, they send up smoke screens for free agents, for trade deals, for draft workouts. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's workout in Utah, um, there, uh, Lindsey said that, you know, the, the story goes that the workout was so good, he threatened to fire anybody who mentioned how good the workout was because they wanted to keep Donovan Mitchell under wraps. So hmm. th- th- there's, there's always that kind of stuff going around that's not just, you know, held to the NBA, too. The same is true the, in the NFL as well. Okay. Um, so, but the list that, that, um, you were saying the list that Jason quick tweeted out. Yeah, no, I was just saying the the quick, the, the list that he tweeted out, I mean, it's coming from happy Walters. It's not coming from, um, a blazer source. So there's, there's, there's definitely some credibility to it. Okay. Um, and then there, there was a, a, a brief, uh, kerfuffle, which maybe has to do with what you were just talking about, um, over, uh, Chandler Hutchison, the player, I believe from, uh, Boise state who dropped out of the combine and rumor was that he'd had assurances from a team in the late tw- or in the twenties that he would have a place. And because of the connection to Damian Lillard's uh, trainer who is at Boise state, there was mm-hmm. a speculation that maybe that was the blazers. And then uh, Jason quick came out and said, no, that was not the blazers. Have you heard any other uh, parts of this story? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've heard it kind of front to back of what's going on, but I think the, the thing for blazers fans to keep an eye on the Blazers fan are the only the, the Blazers fans. The Blazers organizations are the only ones I've seen that have act, actively denied this rumor. Mm-hmm. So, take that for what it's worth. <laughs> Me thinks you doth protest too much. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> again, smoke screens. It could be sending sure, up sure. a lot of things, but um, Chandler is definitely one of those guys. I, I think that that is closer to what Portland needs. I think he's still a little undersized um, for the, that, that wing position hole that Portland's trying to fill, but they mm-hmm. need to get bigger and adding a, another six, seven guy to the roster is not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, um, there was one other person at the combine, at least one other person um, oh, from boy. the Blazers. And that was Blazers uh, general manager or president of basketball operations. There sorry. you go. The Pope, um, the Pope Bono. <laughs> uh, Neil Olshay was there and he was interviewed on ESPN. Um, he had a lot to say, a lot of, a lot of things to say that have um, Blazer fans eagerly firing up the trade machine. You want to uh, maybe give a little synopsis of, of what you heard. I've got some specific questions about what he said, but um, what's your overarching theme that you took from um, his comments to ESPN? You know, Neil Olshea is, is the master salesman. Um, he's incredibly good at his job as far as putting the company line out there, backing it up, standing by it. And this is the first time I've seen him in his tenure here contradict himself multiple times in, like, one press conference, let alone contradicting mm-hmm. what he said three weeks ago at exit interviews. Well, and I was kind of surprised because every once in a while he'd say something, and he'd say something like that I just – started to figure out like, Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then I'm like, but shouldn't he be two years ahead of me in this (laughs) as the the person in charge? Yeah. Uh, Okay. I got, I've got one quote that I want to read and have you explain what you think it means. Um, okay. So, uh, here we go. So we've been backfilling the roster with the Zach Collinses, the Caleb Swanigans, trying to find guys like Mo Harkless or Shabazz Napier here and there. And I think probably one of the things we were a little too conservative with this offseason and at the trade deadline was we were probably far too protective of our draft pick and our trade exceptions and the tools we had to continue to build the roster long term and maybe lost sight of the fact that the first round was going to be more competitive than we expected. Yeah. Wow. What does that mean? <laughs> wow. So, so if let's you're start be- with being too conservative with the offseason <sighs> and the trade deadline and too protective of our traffic and our trade exception. You know, teams that are rebuilding aren't conservative. So what, what is this? I thought this was a rebuilding team. 
Well, I thought they were rebuilding on the fly, so they're not exactly rebuilding. Right. They're retooling around Dame's trajectory. Oh, but you're you're talking about retooling around them with guys that are five and six and seven years younger. So again, this is this is the contradiction where it comes up immediately. First, it was the playoffs are not the goal, and then it was maybe that we weren't ready. Maybe for we the should playoffs. start planning for the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> But you said that the playoffs, was the one where I was like, "Wait a minute!" Like, which which side of this fence do you want to be on, Neil? And that that, mm-hmm. was, that that's what I mean. That's so unlike him. He's usually, you know, just chopping it up, just serving it up exactly as it needs to be served. And he was just stomping over everything that he said, and it was really, really weird. Um, well. So- so when he says too conservative with the off season and at the trade deadline, did he think, did he, do you think he might be saying that the Blazers held too tightly to those assets because they didn't have the right offer to discuss with any other team? Or do you think he means that they were holding on to it because they've really believed so much in the development as a team that he wanted to preserve those for the future, for that final piece. Honestly, I don't think it's either one of them. I think it's packaging up and selling that they didn't have anything really to sell. I mean, outside of CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, and Zach Collins, what do you have on this roster today that's attractive? Okay, so too conservative, meaning we didn't shop CJ. Yeah. Like I, everybody, okay. And that, that's, the, that's the only way I can take that for that to be held true at all. That, that's the only way. And, and when he says too protective of our draft pick, is he talking about this year's draft pick? Because yeah, this year's draft pick is like not a great draft pick. No, and they, <laughs> let's say that they finished. Let's say that they did finish in the lottery, and they've got a, like a 0.8 percent chance of moving up. Like, is that still not worth it to move away from one of their big contracts? Because I think that's what what. If I, I, I'm trying to take Olshay here at what he's saying, and the only mm-hmm. thing that it, you're being protective of that draft pick for is attaching it to a player to ship them out. That's the only thing that I can see here that makes any sense around the NBA. Because who, who else about is calling this draft pick? Yeah, though, yeah that's, right? that's, that's what okay. I mean. So who else is calling the Blazers asking for a Blazers draft pick? Like, I mean, that's, even at their absolute worst, let's talk like late December, early January, where things were mm-hmm. just not going well, and they're projected as a lottery team. They're still in the high lottery, and by high I mean you know the eleven to fourteen range, where the, you know the closest they've been over the last couple of years. Um, do they really value that that highly that they weren't able to make a deal? Because remember, they they started to get things going going into the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, the value of that had to have been going down ever so slightly. So why would you still continue to value that? And let's say the Blazers don't go on that 13-game winning streak. They win seven or eight. They're still, mm-hmm. they're still like, right there in the thick of things. So I, I just, I don't know. It's just really, really, really weird to hear him talk about timelines when, like, he's operating on three different timelines with different right. sets of rules for each one. And that's just, like, that's, that's as bad, if not worse, than, you know, Joe Schmo out here on the trade machine. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, well, that's just totally unlike him from what we've seen in the past as far as, like, what he's willing to say publicly. So, okay, this is this is the most reasonable explanation that I can get because I understand that the Blazers right now are, um, are you know, held back by some contracts. They're not in a good that, spot. No, the nobody, right. So I, I get that. But I also get that the team from the Bay Area has minimum two, three more years of dominance that our team is not even. Um, You're not sniffing it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, why make any drastic moves right now when, you know, we're stuck. So, you know, why cut off our nose to spite the face, right? I, I, um, I can get behind that reasoning, but then at the same time, you can't package this as we're retooling or, or rebuilding or we need playoff caliber players now. 
Because that's, well, that's yeah, the then, next thing that he says is that we need playoff caliber players now, which means you're not building for when the Warriors fall off. You're talking about being in the moment and competing in the playoffs right now. And that's part of that you know, contradiction in here that just kind of has me going, what? Well, so again, trying to play, trying to figure out a reasonable explanation for this. Okay, the Blazers aren't going to win the championship within the next few years with other teams in the spots that they are and with challenges that they have to move forward and really, you know, build into a championship type roster. But maybe he's looking around going, but you know what? We could have tried harder to uh, get farther in the playoffs. He must not listen to the Blazers Edge podcast because we've been talking the entire year about how tight the Northwest Conference is and how tight the, you know, everybody knew how tight the the race was going to be we, in the playoffs. As and soon the, as the trades were done, when Paul George came, when Carmelo came, mm-hmm. when Butler We were like, moved. the Northwest division is going to be brutal. Yeah, I mean, you got Paul Millsap in Denver and you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be a, just a complete nightmare. And people were calling me crazy when I said, I think Utah could finish ahead of Portland. Like mm-hmm. this, this division is easily the best division in basketball, and it's not even close. It was uh, definitely the most competitive. Yeah, and he, here's the thing that that really just kind of blew my mind in here was that this quote on the offseason plan. And you were talking about the playoff caliber guys. I think with this offseason, we shift our focus to playoff caliber guys, guys that hit the right benchmark. You got to do it in the Neil Olshay voice, Dan. No, I can't do it. That can really perform. I think come this April. Off-season. Yeah, I know. I, I don't. I don't have the right staccato for it. But guys that hit the right benchmarks with a body of work that can really perform come April. So you're just taking shots at everybody on your team, basically. <laughs> so That's is he saying we're done like. worrying about? I I I read that as we're done worrying about Damien's pr- trajectory, and we can get an old dude who can come in and shoot lights out. Yeah, like. Well, he's saying, here's, you know, here's, here's the next line. Knowing the rebuild got done quicker. So, oh, so we're done. The rebuild okay. is done, Tara. Sweet. So we're no longer a rebuilding <laughs> team. We're not in year, insert year here of blank year rebuild. You know, that changes. Year two of a four-year rebuild. Year three of a five-year rebuild. It's weird how there's always been like a two-year gap before the end of that, you know, that next rebuild. It's it's gone mm-hmm. it's gone from like a three year to a five year or to a four and a five year rebuild every year. It's like weird that that end number counter keeps going up. Fortunately, Zach Collins is going to be good for twelve to fifteen years. Oh, he better so. be because it's our responsibility <laughs> to move him back closer to the basket. We compared him a lot to like a Kevin McHale, Lamarcus Aldridge. I'm sorry, I can't let that go. No, you cannot okay. compare Zach Collins to a Hall of Famer with the second best footwork in NBA history. That does not work. Okay, but he's not lying in saying that he did because he did. Holy Neil Olsh, whether or not that crap. was a comparison we're ready to all buy into, I'm getting the feeling that you're not ready to buy into that comparison. But I you don't know, use he's that compa- not lying about the fact that that's what he sold him as. I, that's, that's nuts to double down on it like that. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> Zach could be a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, have we not learned from like the expectations that were set for Myers? Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. that's just like if you want to compare him to an athletic post player who can play inside and has a nice finish, find somebody else. But comparing <laughs> Zach Collins to another white dude who just happens to be a Hall of Famer, holy shnikes, what are you doing? That's that's to me that's just terrible. I I, I just I don't I I cannot wrap my head around that comparison. Okay, but what was he? Let's. So some of that I think is he was just caught up in the moment, and I don't think we can really parse that too carefully. But what I want, Rashid, so he missed the two best power forwards in Blazers history and a Hall of Famer. Okay, I I don't want to. I I know that you're upset about this comparison, but I don't want to belabor it because I don't really. Has it really been absorbed? Like, is everybody thinking? That well, Zach Collins is going to, like, within the next couple of years, he's going to be... Yes, and here's the, the problem. Here's the problem, because we, we're, we're going gonna to transition into the Carl the Anthony Town trade rumor stuff that we kind of okay. popped up out of here. Because you, you, when we talk offline, you tell me nobody actually believes that stuff. Nobody actually believes that stuff. 
there there are comments in, and I don't I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there are comments on Blazers Edge where people are calling Zach Collins for Carl Anthony Towns a lateral move. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tara. So, yeah, I don't. Tara. I don't, I don't. I don't think I. <laughs> I don't think I agree with that at, at this point. But the, the, there, I mean, there are people who believe that because Collins, you know, I'm using air quotes here, plays defense, he's more valuable mm-hmm. than Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony Towns is what you hope to God someday Zach Collins can be. I get mm-hmm. that Collins it, it, it puts up probably better defensive box plus minus, and, he's, and he mm-hmm. is more engaged on that end. But that's literally all he has to do. There are very, very few players in the entire NBA who are two-way players who give it all on each end of the floor on damn near every possession. Remind me, when was the last time Zach Collins was responsible for creating 25 points a night? I don't know, Dan. It's not a thing. Or responsible for being Mm -hmm. the the leading rebounder night in and night out. Or Mm -hmm. being one of the league leaders in double-doubles night in and night out. Like, that's that's not... like the. The idea, and this is why I think like these kind of comparisons are so, I don't want to say toxic, but they're just crappy. Like you just, you can't make those kind of things out there. I, would it be fair to say that you believe that they are dangerous in terms of they, they put too high expectations on a player to have to turn out like somebody else when we haven't even seen what he can do yet. We haven't even seen him as a starter yet, let mm -hmm. alone a starting contributor. Mm-hmm. And people so talking, I want to go yeah. back uh, before we move on to the cat thing, though, I want to talk about like, so if, if, if they move him back under the basket is that's Olshay saying that, um, I mean, is, is the situation that he's talking about if Nurkic walks and they need a center, then Zach Collins is going to be the new center. Um, is that what? <laughs> That uh, what they're preparing us for? That's the only thing I can assume, unless they want to play Ed Davis out on the perimeter or go small. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I know. I love Ed Davis so much. I, I, I love but he's Ed taking, too. Like four shots outside of the paint. Like, I know. Career. I love Ed, but that's a, like if you're if you're intent on bringing back Ed, like it's either that or you're starting Zach Collins at center. Mm-hmm. And right. Like, if you look at the lineup right now, unless the things change, the heaviest guy you're going to have on the court is Aminu. (laughs) (coughs) I mean, seriously. Um, Right. Well, I mean, I think we talked about, um, like, you know, at least at the beginning of the year, if Nurkic is gone and the Blazers don't bring in another center, then Ed would start at least for the beginning of the year and Zach Collins would come in as the center. Um, Which wouldn't be a bad scenario. Like Zach is a off the bench center, that's fine. Uh-huh. But I mean, yeah. Could you? Okay, let's just put this in perspective. Could you imagine Boogie Cousins comes back and is healthy and sees Zach Collins as his matchup? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he gets like that big Grinch smile on his face. Yeah, that I mean, and turns. that's not that's not shaded Zach. I mean, just, Boogie's got him by like seventy He's pounds. Just a lot bigger than he that's, is. That's uh-huh. a big dude, and I. And again, you don't have to face too many of those guys night in and night out, but guys like Cousins and Embiid, I mean, they would just eat him alive down there. Yeah, I mean, to Zach's credit, he has shown that he mentally... He mentally, um, he's, he's there. He, he wants to compete. It. He so wants to compete. That's good. Yeah, that stuff's all great, fine, and dandy. That's good. But again, this kind of goes back to the whole mixed messages thing, like... Zach's not ready. By the way, he's Lamarcus Aldridge, Kevin McHale, and Rasheed <laughs> Wallace, and we're gonna play him as a back the basket player. What? I don't know why he didn't just throw in Shaq. I mean, it's come the, on. Like, if you're gonna reach Larry for the Bird, stars, I mean, reach for the stars. Just throw like every every Blazers great big man, and then every <laughs> white Hall of Famer that's remotely tall. I mean, that's I mean, a little bit of Larry Bird in there too. Uh, some some yeah. Pistol Pete Maravich. I mean, it was just. <laughs> Like Neil, what are you doing? Like, right. The, 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 and this—that's what I mean. Like every statement that he made was just a contradiction to either something he had just said previously, or something he previously, or he said you know three or four weeks ago at the the exit interviews. Yeah. And it, like my head was spinning by the time it was done. Like, what did I just watch? 
Mm -hmm. I, I was very, very confused. I don't think it's super fair to like parse every single word because you know, when, when you're got a, someone's got a uh, microphone in your face and you're talking, not everything, you know, I will admit, I personally don't make sense all the time. I don't he know if you would measured, ever admit that, but this I is will admit it's, that. His, it's his job though. That is right. literally his job is to have his measured takes. Yeah. Well, I do. Uh, I, there were some really interesting nuggets out of there where I feel like we've come to a point where he has said that we are no, I, I think he's basically represented us at, at the team as no longer building just around Damian Lord's trajectory, which I think, um, it's kind of exciting when we, you know, move into the off season, if that's really going to be the case, cause it's going to broaden, you know, the ability for us to talk about even more people. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, this is the time of year for rumors and God knows we're killing for them. Um, as far as big rumors go, um, doesn't get a whole lot bigger than, uh, Minnesota and, and Carl Anthony towns. Like we alluded to earlier. Um, yeah. yeah uh, I, <laughs> Just kind of throwing this out there, I've heard plenty of things going on in Minnesota as far as relationships between their their star players, and this isn't exactly surprising. Um, but I, as much as I want to believe this is true and Portland could get involved, I, I would imagine that Tibbs would be gone long before Carl Anthony Towns. But I've seen weirder stuff in the NBA. Right. And to be clear, this rumor is very unsubstantiated. It was actually a, a one line in the Zach Lowe podcast between him and Brian Windhorst, basically. But it was interesting. It was a kind of a fun thought experiment. And so uh, Dave put it into a Blazer's Edge article just to see what kind of um, thoughts Blazer's Edge readers had a, about it. Now, Talk about the tra- the thing that uh, Dave threw out there. What did he propose? Okay, so it's basically C.J. Collins and a first for Carl Anthony Towns, which in theory works, quote-unquote, but salary cap-wise it doesn't. Portland would have to end up taking back somebody like Gorgie Jang uh, to make this right, work. Right, because uh, Towns makes like something ridiculously low, like less than $7 million, I believe. Yeah, he's on his rookie-scale contract still. So yeah. um, <laughs> I think his last year, I think it's $7.8 million, uh, is what it goes right. up to. Um, if I'm Portland, I do this in a heartbeat without blinking. Like if, if Minnesota does this, you, you go to CJ's house and pack, pack his bags for him. And you say it was wonderful. CJ, CJ, we, we, so we love you. Um, we're going to go You're ahead and get this guy. Great. Yep. We're going to get this guy who was a positional nightmare matchup. Um, yeah. can work off, <laughs> off Dame endlessly. We've seen what big versatile bigs can do with Damian Lillard in the pick and roll. Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, this this is it, a no brainer for Portland. And I would guess it goes without saying that um, Nurkic either accepts the minimum qualifying offer or somebody else picks him up. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that would be exactly what has to happen. But mm-hmm. Portland gets a year ish of a little bit of relief. Um, you're bringing in Jang, so you probably let Ed walk. That, that part of it sucks. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. We got to make this. We got to be able to keep Ed here. I mean, oh. positionally, how many bigs are you going to have then? I mean, I, I well, guess you could say he replaces Collins. The team Collins. from the Bay Area has six. Yeah, theirs are a little <laughs> bit different than ours. Um, I guess you could say he replaces Collins, but I don't. Yeah. If you're, if you're content on bringing Nurkic back. How much money I mean, do you tie up? Back, would they want to take back a, a center? Could we uh, throw a center? Well, I mean, in, they've got, they've got Collins in there. Money? Oh, right. Okay, CJ and Collins. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, but I mean, you, you look at the Blazers' front court. There's no shortage of bodies there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. How much money does Portland really want to tie up at that position or those positions? Mm-hmm. I should say. And so they would have uh, they would have Cat uh, Carl Anthony Towns for one year before they had to renegotiate his contract, and it would probably be a doozy. But then they wouldn't have CJ anymore. They they would only have Damian. So you know potentially it yeah, could work for the max deal is there for him. I mean, yeah, I think at least in my mind it's easier to justify spending a max deal on Cat than it is on CJ. Mm-hmm. And granted that they're not quite the same as far as dollars wise, but, um, positionally 
flexibility, fit, um, having that matchup nightmare that we always talk about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a real thing. So um, it's, yeah. it's, it's a strange situation for sure. Right. Well, uh, but that's probably on a scale of, uh, you know, zero to 10. Negative two. Happening. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say 0.01, yeah. you know, because it's probably, it's not like strictly impossible, but like as unlikely as you could possibly get without being impossible. You know, KG <laughs> said anything is possible, but I think he meant anything is possible asterisk except for this potential trade. <laughs> sure thing. But another one that um, was brought up by uh, Grant Hughes from Bleacher Report was uh, Brooke Lopez. And I, I found this one intriguing. You want to talk about um, what what this trade proposal was? It would Well, that's right. Um, it's, it's a uh, free agent signing. Uh, uh, sorry. One, one signing. realistic yeah. uh, free agency signing for every playoff eliminated team. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that Brooke Lopez could come here and fit in this role is it seemed like a, a far fetch to me. Like, like if Brooke Lopez wants to come here, not play, not really be in the hunt for a championship, and not make that much money, he can come to Portland. Like, I mean, they, <laughs> but we know <laughs> that the Lopez family has an affinity for the Northwest. Robin does for uh, sure. We we could see if Brooke does as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, the boys they spent time here. Yeah, it's just little. It's just. I don't know if that's the kind of money that Brooks going to get or if that's what he's seeking long term. Does he want to be, you know, a rotation or bench guy for a contending team? You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I get where he was going with this idea. I just think it's, a, again, far fetched. It's not quite as outlandish as Cat to Portland. But I just, again, does Portland really need to add another big body who's not really mobile? Mm hmm. You, you know what I have been thinking about um, with the upcoming free agency is what will the Blazers do if um, another team produces an offer sheet for one of the restrictive free agents? Can you remember the last time the Blazers did not match a an offer sheet? It feels like something that that's just what they do. Yeah, no, I can't. I can't think of one. Yeah. They, I mean, just, they, they put out more offer sheets than I think that they've had matched. Yeah. I just, I, I just worry that, uh, you know, like I, I, I worry about like what happened with crab. I have no idea about what happened with crab, but I imagined in my mind, the blazer had a, a number that they had in their mind of, that they would offer crab and then he got an offer sheet that was larger than that, but not so much larger than that that they couldn't talk themselves into it. It should have been the fear of God that, that compelled them to not <laughs> sign that. So I'm hoping that it's that they are, you know, this year going into it, uh, that they have a plan where they have a certain like, okay, this is what we said that we would match. And if they go a penny over it, we won't do it. Um, I think they'll get tighter with it this year. I I don't think they have a choice. They will have to be right. Yeah. They're just, in a they're just in a position where every dollar counts. I mean, I think they were $700 away from the luxury tax this year. Yeah. Is that how how close it ended up? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I mean, they're, 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 they're counting every dollar. So stay in school kids and take your math class. Because that paid off for somebody. Yeah, math pays. Trust me. Tom Penn. Tom Penn's cashing a check from ESPN off of what he did here in Portland. Wow. Yeah, that could have. That, it could have cost him a lot of money. Well, I mean, in in my opinion, like I, I mean, like we just talked about two centers, and hard to imagine bringing on another center when there's such a gap in that. Sh- you know, somebody the who wing can come position. In, no matter what, and hit. Buckets. So you know, far, like, we've talked about bigs and more combo guards. Yeah, we, they're still <laughs> not addressing that that wing position need that just hasn't been touched. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk about the. We've got weeks and weeks and weeks uh, to discuss all of the rumors that come across our uh, come across our desks. So um, we'll save any more talk of that for the future unless you have any others that you want to throw out there right now. Nope, I'm waiting to uh, melt down at least until draft day. 
<laughs> it's such a, it's still such a long ways away. It's still over a month away. Just a little Goodness bit gracious. Just a little over a month. We're good. We're good. All right. Well, there was one other uh, another piece of news that um, is related to the NBA. It's not directly NBA news, but um, earlier this week on Monday, um, the Supreme Court struck down a federal law that prohibited sports gaming. So what that means is that states can now legalize sports betting. So to put that into context, Nevada right now is the only state that has it. In Nevada alone, in 2017, $4.8 billion was wagered. It's a lot of That's cheddar. The total, total amount wagered in Nevada. Um, it looks like more than a dozen states have already introduced sports betting legislation, I guess, kind of in, t- in anticipation of this. Oh, happening. they had this stuff ready to go. Right. And so conservative estimates are that by the end of the year, eight or nine states, by the end of this year, by the end of 2018, yeah, that paper was ready to go. <laughs> will have licensed sports books allowing legal gambling and a total of 12 to 14 states uh, may have this all in place before the end of 2019. So that is big news. But what does that look like? How does that change? How does that affect the NBA and the game that we know? Um, there's a couple things to take out of this. Uh, first of all, Adam Silver has kind of been at the forefront of this for the um, leagues around the U.S., because um, it's a band of league, like uh, most of the leagues, like NFL, everybody, um, MLB, NBA, NHL, they're all kind of sitting in the same boat. However, Adam Silver has basically said, no, we want in. Um, we want our 1% guaranteed take. And then whatever else comes out of it, we, we you know, we'll, you know, we'll take part. And that's, mm-hmm. that's basketball related income that goes so to the owners that... and the players. Okay. So, yeah, my question was, was how does that affect us as fans and people who watch the game? So it means an increase in basketball-related income, which means an eventual cre- increase to the salary cap? Yep, I've seen estimates anywhere between a 5 and $7 million increase in the next couple of years. The other thing is, is actually the, the watching experience. Um, mm-hmm. If the NBA is going to be a part of this, I wouldn't you know, be surprised if all of a sudden you saw – um, franchises around the league in their pre-mid-game show start talking about gambling. Here's the odds. Here's where the lines changed. Um, here's your bet of the game. You know this bet brought to you by Bellagio. I mean, or whatever your mm-hmm. state-run casino is. I mean, in Oregon's not not exactly um, new to this either. Less than 20 years ago, they had it. Uh-huh. So I, I would expect Oregon to take part of it probably faster than almost anybody. That was the the pick'em games as part of the Oregon lottery. Yeah, you're saying is what they had. Yeah, I mean the, the, they had legalized sports gambling here in the state. In in the state, you know, was it 18 years ago? So it wasn't that long ago. Okay. Um, so the other things that I've seen mentioned, and by the way, ESPN has really good coverage of this like explaining all the different aspects of it that's well, where yeah, I got they, they want to be they, they want to be the, the, the worldwide <laughs> leader in sports and gambling sports and entertainment and gambling yep ESPNG. There's, yeah there's a there's a there's a ton of money to be made here i mean the, the, the yeah. reality of it is is it's a brand new market i mean people talk about yeah yeah you can make your backroom bets with your friends but now if it's there and readily available there's going to be a spike how many people have been like man i wish i could put some money on a game i'm not going to vegas to do that now that backroom right. money and plus the the added exposure, now the people that you know would gamble or you know thought about it, now they're really going to take a hard look at it. And you know, some people have talked about um, this being a way to um, uh, you know to uh, protect the the game. Like they, everybody says, like you know, protecting the sanctity of the game is is the most important thing, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. How yada, does yada, yada. Legalizing this, how how does legalizing it, you know, protect the sanctity of it? Is it just because it's like, you know, uh, every it'll be more regulated, and so it's out in the open. Know, I mean, if it was so well protected, how did we get Tim Donaghy in the first place? Right. If well, I mean, that's what they're saying is if yeah. they legalize it. That's to potentially avoid situations like I mean, that. I mean, that's that's how they caught the guys at Arizona State years ago. Is that you know all of a sudden a game is being bet up big time on like a Tuesday between Arizona State and Washington State. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was 
obvious something's going on. So if now if it becomes more public and more lights are shined on it, I think it, it's, it's harder to, you know, hide it. I mean, I, I'm not necessarily a proponent of gambling, but I'm not against it either. I mean, I've talked about it before. When the Blazers were projected at 27 and a half wins, I just happened to be in Vegas. <laughs> And I laid a fat amount of money down and made a, made more money than I ever thought I would make gambling. So um, I, I could see how easy it would be for the NBA to make a ton of money off this um, going forward. And they're going to want to protect that golden goose as much as possible. I think it's interesting some of the things that I've read about uh, how, like and you brought it up, how coverage of games might change. Um, because of the interest in the gambling aspect of it, as opposed to, um, you know, the, they're like microtransactions we're talking about in-game purchases. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, you know, having, and then regulating the whole, you know, the whole app world, um, because right now they're just talking, they're still talking about like brick and mortar places. Like you still have to go somewhere to place a bet, but they're trying to get it, um, they're trying to work it in so that people can like have apps and make those bets. How does this affect the whole, you know, like the daily fantasy? Um, uh, will it, do you, you know, will it crush that because people will want to go do other kinds of betting? Nah. Do you think it'll enhance it? Do you think it's anything that they're concerned about? I, I think it, it kind of goes hand in hand. People that want to participate okay. in those are still going to participate in those because there's the feeling that comes along with that, the draft process, um, as opposed to just betting straight lines. And I think it's easier to click on players than it is to, you know, and draft, as we've seen with fantasy football especially, um, than it is to just throw money down on a straight uh, bet. A game? Yeah. Uh, I think there's, there's the game within the game that the Daily Fantasy uh, presents as opposed to laying money down on a particular outcome, like the association that comes with those two things. Mm-hmm. I think it would be interesting. And the, I can't, as I think about how this might change the landscape, I can't help but think of what happened in, you know, Oregon with the legalization of cannabis and everybody going out and growing so much cannabis that like they, like everybody wanted to get in on that and they grew so much now that there's like this huge oversupply <laughs> of it. In Oregon, wonder, no way. I wonder if that something like that might play out. Like what are some of the unintended ramifications of, of this? Um, I think it'll be an interesting thing to, to keep our eyes on and watch and, and see, see what comes of it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think that'll necessarily be as much of a problem because I think they're probably going to limit the amount of gambling licenses that go out and that's how they kind of control that. I thought that's what they were supposed to do with their growing licenses. But, yeah, uh, how how easy is it to, to grow a marijuana plant versus how easy is it to set up an actual casino because of all the rules yeah. and regulations and laws and and money necessary to make that a lot more expensive yeah, to lay it out. Exactly, yeah. the the barriers to entry I think are much much higher as opposed to you know keeping the seeds from your latest procurement. Yeah. Well, the world is changing, but you know what's not changing, Dan? Love. And oh, royal weddings happening. God, are we back to this and again? Princesses falling in love. You're gonna and make me bash this broken mic against my forehead. Choirs singing and <sighs> all kinds of uh, wonderful things happening this summer. Um, it might be slow for the Blazers, but there's a lot going on in. But the there's world, love so in the air. And that's all that matters. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So let's let's wrap this up so uh, I can go back to, um, you know, watching highlights of the royal wedding and you can go and back to your dark corner and Damn do right. whatever Damn right, hide from the sun. Let's <laughs> add um, it some more. Yeah, so let's see. Uh, remind everybody, you can find us on the Blazer's Edge podcast feed on the All By Mighty Baller Network. I can be found on Twitter at TCB Biggs. Even though there's no Blazers going on, I'm still keeping up watching the NBA Finals. I'm also watching the WNBA, which has been fun. There's It just started this weekend. Lots of games. Um, I'm really enjoying that. By the way, WNBA League Pass is $17 total. 
Yeah, I wish regular NBA League Pass was was seventeen dollars. That would be that would be much nicer. Seventeen dollars. So everybody should just go out and buy it, just like to support the league, and just so that they can we can like have the numbers. Is that just like I was like seventeen dollars a month? No, seventeen dollars, and the whole first week is free. So um, anyway, I've been watching that. So follow me on Twitter to uh, find out what I'm watching and what I'm thinking about. And Dan, why don't you take us out of here and? Tell us what you're up to. Alright, so you can find me on Twitter at DMarang, as always, on Instagram, same handle. Uh, Blazers Outsiders continues through the summer. Um, we'll start ramping up the draft coverage on the NBC Sports Northwest uh, with that. Uh, this week I will be sitting in with uh, Chad Doing on uh, Rip City Radio 620. Um, so that's something that's to look, cool. look forward to. Yeah, you can literally find me. What time is that everywhere. show on? So at the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad, I'm sitting in for Travis, and he'll be on in the drive time hour from 3 to 6. Not exactly certain what my schedule's going to look like for the week, but I will be in and out and around, so that's something to look out for. Um, other than that, uh, I think we're just going to kind of keep grinding through the summer, and I'll go ahead and wrap it up here for Terrible and Biggs. I'm Danny Morang. Uh, take care, everyone. Bye.